Last week, we uh, started a two-week break from our First Corinthians series. Uh, we're doing uh, just a two-week short series here on the I Am Statements of Jesus. Last week, we talked about how Jesus says that I am the light of the world. This week, we are going to be in John chapter 15. So if you guys have your scriptures, let's go ahead and open up to John chapter 15. If you're like, ah, oh, didn't bring it, that's okay. We got it up here on the screen. For you guys at home, we got you guys covered too. So John chapter 15. Now before we read, I want to make sure that we know how we got here, okay? Some Bible scholars believe that Jesus and the disciples, that's who his audience is here, Jesus and the disciples are still in the upper room, having participated in the Last Supper together. And that Jesus is still up there, hanging out with the disciples and giving them this truth. Other Bible scholars are on the other side and believe that, that Jesus and the disciples are on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus prays and Judas betrays. We don't really know, uh, and it's not critical to the context of our story, but I wanted you guys to know where, where we are. You see, if we go back to John chapter 13, we understand that Jesus has just finished the Last Supper, and he is actually now washing the disciples' feet. That includes Judas, his betrayer, in the same room where he washes the disciples' feet. Maybe that's the message you take home from this message today. Then we also see that, that Jesus comes and he, he tells them, you know, hey, Judas, you're going to betray me. Peter, you're, you're going to deny me. And then he gets to John chapter 14, verse 6, where he says another I am statement that we're not going to spend a lot of time on today. But he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then Jesus says, I'm going to go away soon, but I'm promising you the Holy Spirit is coming. The Holy Spirit is going to be here, he's going to be in your presence, he's going to be in your lives. And then we get to our scripture here in John chapter 15, we're going to read verses 1 through 7, this is God's word. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may be more fruitful. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Today, I want to talk about the difference between connection versus separation. Connection versus separation. And here's, here's where we're going Clinging to Christ enables life to flow in and through us. Clinging to Christ enables life to flow in and through us. You see, Jesus starts out giving us another dose of truth when he identifies himself as I am the vine, you are the branches. You see, Jesus immediately places himself as the key to life flowing in and through us and immediately gives us our rightful place as being the recipients of this life. And this imagery of the vine might send our thoughts back to Old Testament. 
right? Might send us back to the beginning, right? When, when God has Israel as the chosen people, all through the Old Testament, Israel is talked about as the vine, but they are, it's always in a negative way. Like, it's just, it's kind of like, oh, they're the vine. Uh, you know, that, that kind of thing, right? Jesus is always talking about this. God is always talking about this. Psalm 80, David says, he refers to the vine that was planted and cared for by God. Isaiah chapter 5 also talks about the vineyard that was planted and cared for by God. But the vineyard kept producing wild grapes. Grapes that weren't edible. Grapes that weren't actually fruitful. Ezekiel 17 talks about the potential of the vine, but the vine never living up to that potential. You see, when Jesus says that he is the true vine, what he is actually saying is, I'm here to do what you could not do for yourselves. He's saying, I'm the one who's coming to fix things because you were not able to do that. Jesus has come to be the new vine, the new life source for believers. Jesus gives us this imagery of truth. And then he goes back and forth between this connection versus separation. The ESV, our our version that we read from this morning, talks about it in two words, abide and apart. Abide and apart. And this is what I want to spend the majority of our time on this morning. Abide and apart. The first one, abide, right? Abide is actually talking about our connection to Jesus and how it is essential. Our connection to Jesus is essential. It's not optional. It's it's not optional. I think a lot of the time we will treat Jesus as if he is an option. But Jesus dispels that back in John chapter 14 with another I am statement. Remember, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is essential. And our connection to Jesus is essential. Because life, real life, God-honoring life, selfless life, discipled life, disciplined life, and an abundant life all flow from Jesus to us. It's important to note that the word abide appears seven times in the first seven verses here. And if you read all the way through to 11, it's 10 times. Because because the disciples did not have a playbook. Jesus did not sign them up for it. He didn't say, hey, follow me. Here's the playbook on how to beat Loyola. Uh, He didn't say that. There's no, hey, here's our policy manual. I'm going to need you to read it, sign it, give it back to me, okay? We want you to have this. just needs to be in your brain. No, Jesus is speaking words to them. I think sometimes my mind gets confused, like, They had the Bible. No, they didn't. Jesus is speaking verbal words to them, so he repeats himself over and over and over again so they understand, so that they remember, so that it's in their mind. And that's why our scripture repeats this so many times, so that as we can see it and read it, we remember. We remember that our connection, our abiding to Jesus is essential. It's necessary. It's our primary focus. But you see what? What Satan likes to do, he likes to disrupt our primary focus. Not in big gulps, but in tiny little sips. He takes us away from the Savior and just moment by moment things. It's not a big swooping, come in, distract. No, it's, it's small, little, tiny distractions. Then after a while, all of a sudden, we have this big separation between us and Jesus. Abide. You see, abide really means to stay. To remain, 
to dwell, to live, and to cling. I love that last, I love that last word, cling. We're going to talk about that more here in a second. But that word cling, just hang on to that. Get it? See what I did there? Cling, hang on. I can be funny sometimes. My kids don't think so. Our scripture lays out three clear aspects of staying connected to and clinging to Jesus. Let's go back to the word, right? Chapter 15, verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. If we abide in Christ... If we stay connected to Christ, God is going to prune, he's going to cleanse, and he's going to clear out the junk. It's, it's really this, this beautiful TV show, right? Uh, you know, the, the, the spring cleaning, God's edition. It's just like this nice little thing. See, and what I love and fear most about this verse and about this type of connection to Jesus is that either way, whether I stay connected or I separate, God's going to do some work on me. And God's going to do some work on us. Because if if we're not being fruitful, then God's going to cut us away. But if we are being fruitful, God is still going to cut. God is still going to prune. He's going to cleanse. He's going to clear out the junk. And that's terrifying. I want to make sure that as we're talking about this bearing fruit, because it can take several meanings, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page See, what Jesus means by bearing fruit in here. Bearing fruit means that change is evident in our lives because of our connection to Jesus. Bearing fruit means that change is evident in our lives because of our connection to Jesus. We said this last week, but it's worth saying again. Connection with Jesus is not about going through the motions, but going through a transformation. Bearing fruit is talking about the spiritual transformation that is taking place in our lives. And out of that transformation, there will be some works that God has prepared for us. But I think a lot of the time we can dumb that down. We can, we can make bearing fruit a to-do list rather than what's being done inside. This spring cleaning, this, this cleansing, this pruning that God will do in us will be quite painful as God removes what is unnecessary to make room for what is essential. Our connection to Jesus will require pruning so that God's glory may reflect in our lives. The second aspect of clinging to Jesus is in verse 3. Jesus says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. You see, if we abide in Christ, if we remain and stay, we will watch as God's word will reveal, revamp, and restore us. You see, like we said, this, Jesus says, I have spoken these words to you, but we have the written word. We have the actual text of what Jesus said according to John. Divine and inspired text at our fingertips. If we allow it the opportunity, it's going to come in and it's going to mess us up. David writes about the power of the word in Psalm 119. He says, your word is a lamp to my feet and light to my path. And like we said last week, light illuminates. And when we see something in a different light, it reveals something different. 
My wife and I have three kids. We like to think we keep a pretty tidy house. Four kids. Just. We like to think we keep a pretty tidy house. But the last couple of weeks when we've had like this really nice sunshine. Last week, not so much. There wasn't much sunshine last week. But last, the, the last couple of weeks, there's been some good sunshine. And we get that sunbeam coming right in going, man, our house looks good. What's under the microwave? Uh, we got to clean that up. Like we got to wipe that down. Oh, I did not see all those crumbs under the table. That's, uh, that's probably on me. Uh, and it just reveals something different, right? It reveals our cleanliness. The Bible will do that same thing. It will reveal something different. Second Timothy also talks about, Paul talks about the importance of Scripture when he says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Here's the thing, church, a lot of the time we use that verse as a way to teach to others. It really should be teaching to us first. God's word will rescue us from the connection of sin if we allow the scripture the opportunity to reveal our sins, revamp our mindsets, and restore our souls. The third aspect of clinging to Jesus is found in verse 4. I know we're just making a list all the way down, so just keep going. Chapter 15, verse 4. Abide in me and I in you As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. If we stay, if we remain and abide in Christ, we will experience spiritual growth internally and externally. We will witness our lives being changed our hearts being shaped, and our souls being rehabilitated. Our actions and our words will reflect the change that is happening inward. If we cling to Jesus, we will see growth in and through ourselves. And as we remain connected to Jesus, we will start seeing the pruning process, the cleansing process, and the transformation process. You see, we we call them a process because it's never done. Jesus' work inside of us is never done. If we're not dead, God's not done. There's still a process to go through. There's the pruning and, and the cleansing and the transformation process that continually happens in my life. And I'm sure if you took some time to reflect, you would see that as well. When I think of clinging to Jesus, I think of holding on to something with all of my might. Our middle daughter, Violet, Loves the monkey bars. Anybody else as a kid like the monkey bars? I did because I was small at that time. It was great. I love the monkey bars. And she, she loves them. She'll go back and forth. We'll go up to Robeson Park and she'll be back and forth on these monkey bars. And she gets done and her hands look like they're like ready to bleed. Like she's just got these calluses, you know, these blisters that are forming. She just loves it. She just keeps going back up. Her hands are all bright red when she's done. That's what it looks like to cling on to something. When our hands are sore from holding on so tightly. If we are clinging to Jesus with all of our might, with all of our strength, it means that we are working hard at not just remaining in Christ, but resisting separation. 
When we are abiding in Christ, we are resisting separation. And this is where the text gets very real. Because it reminds us that there's something, someone looking to separate us from Jesus. That is working hard against us with all of its might to rip us from Jesus. To separate us from our Savior. To separate us from our life source. Jesus continues in chapter 15 verses 5 through 7. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burnt. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You see, as we resist separation from Jesus, there is something that is pursuing our separation from Jesus. It's all found in verse 5 in that one, one word, apart. That word apart, apart implies that separation is happening or that separation could happen. Just as our connection to Jesus is essential, our separation from Jesus is detrimental. Our separation from Jesus is detrimental. This separation is detrimental because without Jesus, we are literally nothing. He says in verses 5 and 6 that without Jesus, we can do nothing except start a bonfire. And as much as I love marshmallows, we're not meant to be a bonfire that starts once and is done in 20 minutes. We're meant to be the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. We're meant to carry that light. Without Jesus, we are sticks on the ground waiting to be burned. We are sinners with no Savior. We are drowning with no rescue. We are lost with no way out. We are darkness with no light. We are broken with no opportunity to be put back together. We are helpless with no hope. Without our connection to Jesus, we are separated with no bridge. This word apart literally means by itself. Separated from anyone or anything. When we are apart, there is a tremendous absence or lack that grows between us. And boy, have we seen this play out over the last year. We've been without the presence of each other and we're still not back to full capacity. I don't know if anybody's smiling or if you guys are all asleep because you got those masks going on. Even introverts like myself are having a hard time not seeing people. I think now more than ever, we are witnessing what it's like to be apart. This year's been really tough because we feel like we're going on alone. And I would argue, without taking anything away, but I would argue that the secondary pandemic is loneliness and isolation. We have seen what it looks like to be apart. And I think even the introverts who won't raise their hands would agree that being separated is incredibly difficult. And this is just being separated from each other. This isn't even being separated from Jesus. I mean, can we imagine for a second what that would actually feel like? 
What would our lives look like if we were separated from Jesus? Well, Jesus tells us it would feel like nothing except waiting for the bonfire. Separation from Jesus is detrimental. It's damaging. It's destructive. It's dividing. But connection to Jesus is essential. It's necessary. It's primary. It's first. It's life-giving. It's enabling. It's encouraging. And it's transformative. Our connection to Jesus is exactly what we need to not just survive and outlast the bonfire, but to grow, to be more fruitful, to be his children, to be his light, to be his hands, to be his feet. Our connection to Jesus is the most crucial connection that we need to run after. We are so, so interested. I've been guilty of this as much as anybody. We are so interested in getting back to normal. Jesus just wants us to get back to him. Jesus just wants us to be back with him. You see, Jesus came to die our death, to be buried in our tomb so that we can join him in his resurrection so that he can bridge the gap that we could never, ever cross. Because Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to serve and give his life as a ransom. He came to rescue, redeem, and restore all so that we could come near him. All so that we could be connected to the source. Because our sin divides us. Jesus connects us. So what does that connection look like? Maybe you're new to church and you're, you're, you're kind of processing through this like, how do I get started in this connection with Jesus? Maybe you've been here for a while and you're going, I need to rekindle this connection with Jesus. I need to be back with the source. How do we remain connected to Jesus? How do we cling to Jesus so that his life flows in and through us? What does this actively look like? Well, the first one is, is it's intentional time in God's word. Didn't see that one coming, did you? Didn't see that one coming. That's new. That's new information. Intentional time in God's word. We've all heard that we need to read our Bibles, that if we want to know more about God, then we need to read our Bibles. But what I mean by intentional time in God's word is that we need to move from being in our scriptures to being transformed by them. We need to not read our Bibles so that we know more about God, but so that we experience the cleansing of God's word. When we read God's word, we should not just be growing in our minds, but in our hearts as well. See, we cannot store up knowledge about God and think that's enough. We need to be allowing the scripture to change us, to mold us, and to shape us into Christ followers, not Christ knowers. Scripture gives us what we need. If we allow it to, it will cleanse us through revelation through these words and pages and through a transformed life. Intentional time in God's word will challenge us, which means that We have to be okay with growth. We can't read God's word and expect to walk away the same. We have to read God's word in an expectancy that it will challenge us, that it will grow us, that it will shape us into who we need to be. In order to cling to Christ, we must be intentional about our time in Scripture. 
Number two, another shocking statement. We have to have an authentic prayer life. Intentional time in God's word and an authentic prayer life. If we're going to be connected to Jesus, then we have to take the opportunity to spend real time with God in prayer. Real time with God takes our soul and pours it out before the Father. Prayer gives us the space to be with God in a personal worship setting where we can have an authentic conversation with God. See, I think too often we post about what we should be praying about. Prayer should never be our last resort, but should always be our first response. Our first response to joy and our first response to frustration. Our first response to lament and our first response to praise. Prayer should be where our hope, our anger, our thanksgiving, and our sin all goes first. Prayer connects us with the God of the universe. Prayer takes us to places where our soul cannot go with people. Prayer is a journal that we speak to God. Prayer time should be filled with with four things. Raw emotions. God can handle your anger. God can handle your frustration. God can handle those prayers where we don't even know what to say. God can also handle your joy. He can also handle the happy pieces that are coming into your life. Prayer time should be filled with raw emotions, unfiltered emotions. Prayer should also be filled with genuine praise. This last week at, at our staff prayer time, we get the, we get the staff prayer, prayer list here for the requests that you guys submit, whether online or in person. And on the back of it, Miss Amber, Amber Esparza, our children's minister, she had us flip over the paper and she said, I want you guys to write on one column what we lost in 2020. And then I want you to write what we gained. It's a lot easier to write what I lost. The memories that we missed out on. It's really easy to fill up that side of my paper. But when I started to process through, boy, what did we gain in 2020? Well, for me, I don't know what your gain was, but for me, my gain was time. Time with my family. Time with my kids, time with my in-laws, time with my parents, time with my wife. I also gained intentionality and perspective. See, because those things mean a whole lot more than this list. Because even in the middle of a pandemic, we can still give God praise. Raw emotions, prayer time should be filled with genuine praise. It should be filled with unfinished thoughts. I love, this kind of made me giggle when this came across my, my computer as I'm typing. It's like unfinished thoughts. That's an unfinished thought right there. Like this is not good. But see, then it might, made me think. It made my mind think going, oh, man, I am going into a meeting, Lord, and I don't know how it's going to go. That is an unfinished thought to us, but that's a complete prayer to God. That's asking God, go before me, come behind me, sit with me. Our prayer time should be filled with raw emotions, genuine praise, unfinished thoughts, and heartfelt confessions. There is no greater way to stay connected to Christ than through prayer. So here's my question for us this morning, church. Are we clinging to Jesus? 
our, our hands raw because we're so, we're so tight with Jesus. Are we connecting with Jesus? Are we holding on to Jesus? Or are we telling Jesus, hold on. Jesus does everything for us so that we could be connected to him, so that we could be connected to the bread of life, the light of the world, the door of the sheep, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life, and the vine. He does everything for us so that our connection with him can be possible. Connection to Jesus is not optional, it's essential. Clinging to Jesus enables life to flow in and through us. It's time we start living like his life is flowing in and through us.